Hello everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Last week, you heard the story of Ron Burris, a convicted felon who spent four and a half years in one of the most dangerous prisons in the United States. This week, you will hear an eye-opening and extremely informative interview with a criminal defense attorney. Are you ready? Let's do this! Have you ever wondered how anyone can defend a murderer? Yeah, me too. Have you ever thought a criminal defense attorney must be the biggest loser on the planet? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, me too. Have you ever talked to a criminal defense attorney and actually listened to their point of view? Well, I have, and now it's your time. Bob Mata, criminal defense attorney, national trial lawyers top 100. Son of Robert Mata, who defended the infamous clown killer, you guys, John Wayne Gacy. After Gacy had murdered at least 33 young men and boys. You guys, I'm incredibly honored to share with you the inside scoop directly from a defense attorney. Bob Mata gets real. He explains to me how he can defend a killer and still sleep at night. He talks about the death penalty with me. He describes to me how a jury is selected prior to trial. And he explains to me the ins and outs of a criminal defense attorney. Thank you so much to Bob Mata for answering all of my questions and helping me understand our judicial system a whole lot more. You guys, take a listen. You will learn a lot. All right, so we now have Bob Mata. Is that where you go by or do you go by Mr. Mata? No, I definitely do not go by Mr. <laughs> I definitely go by what Bob. What do you prefer? Yeah. Okay. Just Bob is Attorney, perfect. attorney yes. Bob. <laughs> no, just Bob, just Bob. I'm yeah. trying to become a full-time podcaster. So uh, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, just Bob is perfect. That, you know what? Since you started with that, that was going to be one of my questions that I think I was going to ask that more towards the end. But is that what you're leaning towards? Are you trying to get out of the defense attorney? I am, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years at this point. And at this juncture in my life, I'm like, I'm burnt. You know, I've been doing it. It's such an uphill battle from the defense side because the state typically has the advantage across the board. You know, they got the resources, you know, they've they've got the judges because typically most judges, at least in Illinois, and, and I think it's probably true throughout the country, kind of the judge track runs through the state's attorney's office. So a lot of them happen to be former state's attorneys. So in terms of trying to, to get over the hump in a defense case, it's very, very difficult, you know, because you're, you're basically, you've got the world against you. 
I know that the constitution says that you're presumed innocent, you know, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't play out that way. It's, it really, it really has a feeling that, you know, your guy's having to prove his innocence, which isn't the way it's supposed to be, but is really how it plays out. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had thought about doing, like before I went to law school, I was going to go to broadcasting school because I, I have a pretty good voice. And, yes, you, know, you do. Was, you know, I was an only child, um, you know, so I spent hours and hours and hours when I was young on that very tape recorder that my dad recorded the Gacy tapes on, like in my room, just doing stupid shit, like making voices, you know, doing like, I, I guess it would have been like early podcasting, um, you know, where I would just tape myself for hours and I had hundreds of tapes. So it kind of felt like, you know, when I decided to, to, you know, basically take on the pod and do it without really knowing what the fuck I was doing, you know, that it seemed like kind of fate had like driven me towards that because, you know, being an attorney, being a trial attorney, arguing in front of juries for 20 years has really built me uh, a, a pretty nice ramp into doing what I'm doing now because a lot of that is frankly acting. You know, when I'm in front of a jury, you know, I'm trying to portray a certain image on behalf of my client. You know, if the facts and, and kind of like how it goes, if the law's against you, the facts are against you, you, you got to get the jury to like you more than they like the state, you know? So that's kind of like the rule, you know? So, and I got good at that. You know, I, I've always been a pretty effective litigator. So um, from that perspective, you know, I, I think that this is kind of what I was meant to do, you know, um, and then I, I was graced with like a great source material with those tapes, you know, and, you know, that was going to be the hook, like the tapes were the hook, but I knew that, you know, my writing in terms of my scripting and my ability to narrate would kind of win the day, you know, pull them in with the tapes, but keep them, you know, which is the challenge for us as podcasters, you know, keeping them with our narrative and our storytelling ability is what you know, keeps our listeners engaged, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that, that's the hope. <laughs> that's yeah. The hope. yeah. So, so I'm sure my listeners right now are thinking, what is he talking, what tapes, what is he talking about? Because the, now, so, so what, and I'm going to let you tell most of it and you guys, we're going to get way more into this next week. This is a two part series. So Bob was so kind enough to let me do a two-part series interviewing him. This week, we're going to talk mainly about his role as a defense attorney. And everyone on here knows about Egypt Covington and her death and, and um, you know, so many people that follow us and even us would think like, who in their right mind would ever want to uh, defend a killer? You know, but, but why I know there's so much more to just that, but in our view, that's what we're thinking. Um, but before, so, so the tapes he's talking about, you guys are going to get to know so much better within the next seven days. And then all in the next week, we'll get more into that at the end of, of this, of this in interview. Um, that's what they call a tease. <laughs> yeah. right yeah That's exactly right. exactly but the tapes play a huge role <laughs> yes yes they do. It, is, it is they're a thing i'm gonna pull i pulled up your your website on here because i wanted to ask you about this quote your motto is and i'll read it from your page when your enemy is weak expose their weakness when your enemy is strong delay the battle and when your enemy is angry make them angrier because mistakes are sure to follow and right. i in a minute, I want, I want you to maybe talk about that for a second. But to me, 
that would be so um, exhausting, exhausting. And I can see why uh, somebody might be in this and be all in it and be a huge fighter and have that be a drive. And then I can also see that being just overly exhausting and constantly yeah, I don't know the, the right no, word. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And, and you know, so when I started, um, you know, when you and I kind of connected and reached out to each other, um, you know, I, I was kind of going through um, your reviews. And, and the thing that I noticed about your reviews is that you do what I do. You're a fucking fighter. <laughs> and, you know, you call bullshit on people. And that's what I do. And you, you take a lot of heat for it. I love you for it. Um, I think it's an amazing attribute and I hope you never stop doing that. Um, you know, but yeah, from, from my perspective in terms of, and, and so that, that is a quote from uh, the art of war, uh, by Sun Tzu. It's a fucking famous, you know, like it, it's, it's a, in terms of how to win a war that the art of war is the, yeah. the book that you read. So um, they, I can't take credit from that amazing, from that amazing quote, but I was smart enough to put it on my website, you know, because yeah, yeah it, it, like ultimately it does get exhausting. You know, at the end of the day, when I'm sitting there, um, you know, after 20 years of doing this and like giving a shit, cause that's the thing. It's like when you actually give a shit, yes. that that's what drives us as people, as human beings. Um, you know, when you get to that point, you don't give a shit, you ain't, you ain't fighting that hard when you care, you know, you fight like a motherfucker, you know, and that's what I've been doing for a long time. You know, I, I don't go in half-assing on any trial. Like I, I go in and I'm fighting and, you know, and, and you're going to get to this question and I'll give you a pretty thorough answer and it'll kind of touch upon what you were speaking about or, or you know, like kind of initially, like, how do you defend these people? You know, and there's, there's a good answer for it, you know? Um, and in my podcast, I give a very definitive answer as to the hows and the whys that needs to happen. But, you know, yeah, it gets, it's, it's exhausting. You know, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're doing it right now. You're, you're fighting on behalf of, you know, someone that you loved and yeah. you know how tiring it is. It's, it's, it, it, it's not just mental, it's, it's emotional, it's physical, it's all of it. And it takes it out of you, you know, and when you're going at it so hard because you do care, it really, it, it can drain you. Um, yeah. You know, in a way that, and especially over a, you know, like a protracted period of time, it's going to be one of those things where you're going to be like, fuck, man, you know, I'm tired, you know, do I want to keep plugging along or, or not? And, you know, but, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, go all in, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and then when I get to the point, me personally, where I realize that I'm having a problem going all in then, you know, out of fairness to, to my clients and to myself, you know, I know that it's time for me to maybe say, all right, it's time to step back, you know, cause I'm, I'm just not, that's not me. Like I, I don't go in winging shit, doing shit half-assed because it's a dis, you know, it's a disservice to my clients. It's a disservice to me. It's a disservice to the practice of law. So, you know, I take that shit seriously, you know, um, when does it get to that? When does it get to that point? Does it get to, to when maybe you have somebody come in and I'm sure you've declined. Have you, well, sorry, I shouldn't say, have you declined clients before? Yeah. You know, there's this, this old saying in the law that you can't pick your clients and there's, you know, there's ways around it in terms of like, if there's a client that comes in and, and it's typically not 
like if I'm deciding that I don't want to take a case, it, it's typically not based on like the horrific nature of the case. It's, yeah. it's typically based on whether or not I think I'm going to be able to have a working relationship with that client, yeah. you know, like where, like I, I can just tell a lot of times if a client's like super high maintenance, you know, or if they're working, we're going to butt heads and, you know, because like, you know, in a case where if it's a serious case and you're going to have to really work hand in hand with your client, you know, you have to be able to work together, you know, yeah. and, and it's, they have to be able to assist in their defense. And if I can sense that from the get, you know, typically I'll try to figure out a way to not take the case, yeah. but you know, I mean, technically if somebody walks into your office and if I say, okay, this is what the fee is and they say, okay, well I can pay that fee. I'm, I'm ethically bound to take the case, you know? So it's like, you can't kind of like, pick and choose, at least in the criminal defense arena, you know, with civil cases, you know, it, it's easy, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I don't think the liability is good. I'm going to pass on it. But with criminal cases, it's different, you know? So, so if you give, I guess I didn't realize that if you give somebody a price and that's basically saying, all right, it's up, it's now in your hands. And they say, and, and, and maybe you aren't really into that person, but you give them a price. Maybe you, <laughs> raise it just because thinking they might not, might not jump on yeah, it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, right. I don't do that. You know, it's like, if I, like, I'm kind of stuck. Like if I say, okay, well, you know, it's a class X felony, you know, we charge 25 pre-trial and 25 K for trial or, you know, depending yeah. on what we think that the time's going to work out on it, you know, and they're like, Oh, I got you. You know, like I got you faded here, man. Here's the cash. <laughs> then, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm in it, you know? So yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, but then what, okay. So then, so then what happens when you get a client that you believe their story and then you start to realize that they aren't being honest with you. And I know that you said that that's really important for you guys to have that communication. Well, what happens when it gets to that point, they've said, I'll pay you, they give you the, the money. And now it, it almost becomes like that moral dilemma. Right. What? So, so he, that's an excellent question. And this is going to give you the answer that, that you were seeking initially. Like, how do you, you know, how do you kind of like balance mm -hmm. your morality with, you know, handling a case like that? So the first rule that my father taught me of being a defense attorney is that I never, ever ask them whether or not they did it ever. And what I ask them when they come into my office is I say, what are the police saying that you did? Okay. okay. Cause there's a very distinct difference. Okay. So like I'm getting the facts of what the cops are alleging or the state is alleging that they did. I never ask them. And, th and that's for two reasons. One for the first reason, the morality issue, I don't want them coming in saying, cause like that shit you see on TV where the lawyer, you know, the lawyer's like, Oh, you're my client. You have to tell me the truth. Tell me what yeah. that's fucking bullshit. That's not how it goes. It can't go like that because of the two reasons I'm going to give you one. It may cloud my objectivity yeah. in terms of me being able to do my job effectively because you know, if it's some horrible fucking child murder case or something that's so offensive to me morally individually, that's without question going to affect my ability to be able to defend them properly. The second reason is if I, come up with a theory, like a theory of defense and they have told me a story that they're saying is what happened and I come up with an alternate theory that I want to present at trial, I can't put them on and have them perjure themselves. I, like if I know what the story is, I can't suborn perjury by putting them on 
and then coming with some bullshit story and saying, all right, well, you have to now get on, like you told me this, but now you have to get on the stand and lie because I came up with a theory that might get you off this thing. So for those two reasons, I never, ever ask my clients ever, and any good defense attorney would tell you the same thing. If you talk to a guy that says, I always ask him, don't hire that guy. I'll tell you that right, right from the gut, you know, because it's like, you just, you, you don't, you, you can't know. It affects you in, in so many different ways. We're all human beings. I'm not a robot. You know, I've got four kids, man. If it's like a kid case, that shit's going to hit home with me. Mm. You know what I mean? So I just don't ask, you know, and, and, and the broader kind of perspective from a defense attorney's, you know, vision in terms of what they're doing is that I'm really defending the constitution that that is what i do for a living I, it's like people look at it on a micro level in terms of like individuals and they've committed horrible crimes what i'm really doing is defending the constitution what, what a defense a good defense attorney's real role is to police the police so like whenever people are saying hey you know this guy got off on a technicality uh no that's not it's not a technicality it's a fucking constitution man and like we don't feel it on an everyday basis in terms of us individually just going about our normal lives. Mm -hmm. But when you have police interaction, you feel it. You know, mm -hmm. when they're kicking in your door without a warrant, you feel it. When they're searching you and your person in violation of your, your constitutional and civil rights, you feel it. You know, so what we do as defense attorneys is I look at what the police did in terms of how they got to their conclusion that this person committed the crime. And I make sure that they did it by the book. There's rules. It's not a free-for-all. We do not live in Nazi Germany. This is not a totalitarian police state. They have rules. They've been established by the Constitution of the United States. And I make sure that they followed them. Because if they don't follow them, there's a steep price that they pay. And that's suppression of evidence or suppression of statements, which then in turn, the state's attorney has to go to the, the victim's family and say, my God you know, uh, the, the judge is not allowing us to put that evidence in because the cops violated that guy's civil rights by not doing it the right way. So, you know, essentially what my role is is a gatekeeper making sure that the cops are doing it by the book because it matters. I say that all the time in my podcast is who is holding you accountable? Who is holding these, these people accountable? And, and I send emails constantly to uh to county attorneys who, because I have a depart department right now in Indiana who they won't speak to me. I can only speak to their attorney. And because I'm exposing so much that has happened that they no longer will allow the police department mm -hmm. to talk to me. So, right. well, this guy has no fucking clue about any of the cases that I'm bringing up to him. He doesn't know any of the answers. He doesn't even know these people's names and they happened in their county, but yet he's the only person that will talk to me. And he, he so then what I'm constantly saying is who is holding, who's holding them accountable? How is it okay for police officers to speak to people this way? How is it okay for them to conduct an interview that I have a recording of and I have it legally and you guys listen to this and how is this okay? Who is holding them? And, and it is, it's the defense attorneys that are holding them accountable. Yes, that is correct. So as, as, as shitty of a reputation as we have being slippery and slimy and all that other shit and bottom feeders, that's fucking bullshit yeah. because without defense attorneys, we'd be living in a much different country, you know? So it's like, 
I always let that shit roll right off my back because I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I know what I do, you know, because I, I, I give it to the cops, you know, and then if they're a good cop, you know, I fucking if they're on the stand and I'm cross examining them and they did their job right, then I fucking shake their hands after I say, look, man, this is my job, bro. You know, I'm not trying to you know, I'm just trying to make sure you're doing your shit right, because at the end of the day, you know, what happens in an individual case may blossom into the law. You know, because like in my last episode, I kind of like explained to people like, I don't know that people actually know, you know, like laymen, if they know like how the law is developed. It's like, you know, we elect these fucking people, you know, and it's like, I don't give a shit if you're Republican or Democrat. It's like, neither one of them really checks all my boxes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm conservative in a lot of ways and I'm liberal in a lot yeah. of ways. So like, I'm, I'm like a fucking tweener. So, you know, and I'm always stuck having to pick between two douchebags, typically, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, this guy or this girl, you know, and yeah. what happens is that after we elect these legislatures, they go in and they draft statutes. So those statutes then become law. So when they write a statute, what happens is it has to be fleshed out because that's just something that was written. It's, it starts as a house bill. It says, okay, you know, we're going to make this illegal and these are going to be the rules as to what makes it illegal. And these are the things that make it illegal. So what lawyers do is they're always interpreting. So you have state's attorneys on one hand that are interpreting on behalf of the government saying, this is how the government wants us to interpret this law. And you have defense attorneys saying, okay, well, this is how the citizens are interpreting this law because we defend the citizens, you know, and it's in it, the ironic thing is that like when I'm going against the state, it's the people of the state of Illinois. Ah. You know, but the reality is that defense attorneys are the ones really representing the people in terms of how laws are to be viewed and constructed and moving forward, how they're going to be, you know, applied by the judges in the case. So, you Such know, it, a great it, point. Such a great point. And I don't think enough people look at no it. One know, no one, no one, no one looks at it like that. You know no, what I mean? It's like, that's such a brilliant point because um, you know, a couple episodes ago, I interviewed my brother who visited death row and talked about that. And, and he, and he flat out said, no, 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 don't say that you're putting, you're killing this person of the people of South Carolina, because I'm a people of South Carolina. And I don't necessarily believe that all of this should be happening. I don't know what I believe, but I know right now that I'm not ready to say, put my name on that and say, yes, this right. person needs to be, right. you know, put to death. Um, it, it, so, no. Yeah, make no bones about it. The state's attorney is represents the government. Like, and yes. uh, I, I'm like, I'm not a huge government fan. That was a huge aha moment. moment. Oh my. Yeah. God. It's like, it's like, I, I broke that down in my last episode for people. And I'm like, cause it, Sorry, like it I'm was. I'm starting from, I'm, I'm No, at, hey, I'm do that. <laughs> You've got to. No, I know. Do not jump ahead. My, yeah. my shit is like, yeah. it, it's super dense with information. Yeah. So you can't jump in in the middle. You'll have no fun. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm not about. No, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm happy that you're listening. So. Believe me, that's uh, that's 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 enough for yes. me. Yes. Oh my gosh, the defense attorneys are representing the citizens, and it is right. because you are making sure that the law is is being followed, and and then if and when someone is, Michigan doesn't have the death penalty, but if someone is put to death, knowing that they had representation to do fight everything against that, and then if they exactly. are still sentenced to death then it is it's, it, it, is. It, it, 
and it's like every aspect of it. Like, so the fourth amendment is basically the thing that allows, um, you know, the police some leeway in terms of investigating. So the fourth amendment, when you hear about fourth amendment violations, that's, that's having to do with your searches of your home, your vehicles, your person, um, you know, so when a defense attorney is going in there and fighting and saying, look, you know, this, like, cause like, Every aspect of searches like over the years has gone up to the Supreme Court of the United States and they have determined, that's what I'm saying. Like when, when the legislature writes this law, it's like completely open to interpretation. So you've got two sides that are interpreting it. And that's like really what the role of attorneys are. We're saying, okay, no, it fucking means this. And they're saying, no, it fucking means this. And, and, you know, whichever side ends up getting the, the judges to agree with them, that then becomes how the law is construed through precedent, you know? So like I argue it. So like when it came to like trunks in cars, you know, it was like, yeah, you can search the car, but you know, there had to be a case that was argued where somebody was arrested and they found some shit in his trunk and they had seen something in, you know, in plain view, they saw a joint, say they saw a joint like in the center console when it came up to the car. So that gave them the ability, according to case law, again, that was fleshed out as well, like plain view, mm-hmm. cops can go in. So, but so again, a lawyer had to, to, you know, lose a case, appeal it, that had to get denied either by the, the, you know, the state level court, then the Supreme Court of that state, and then go all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. And then they have to say, we'll hear the issue, you know, because when the Supreme Court rules on it, that's the law of the land. So, you know, but like, like the issue with the trunk where you have, okay, we got a plain view search in the car, but then they decided to go in the fucking trunk and they found a body. Okay. And they didn't have the right to go into the trunk because it's a separate compartment. So like those little things are the things that defense attorneys are, are trying to delineate. But, you know, and, and for every body in the trunk, there's like a hundred million more people that don't have a body in the trunk. That, you know, it, 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 it's like, it's kind of like what happened with the Gacy thing. It's like planted this evidence, you know, and yes, they found a fucking monster, but violated every fucking right of that guy, despite what a piece of shit he was. You know what I mean? So it's like, yes, but, but for yeah. us as normal citizens, like you need us, trust me, you need us. <laughs> like yeah, as defense attorneys. Coming from a point of view and a curious about defense attorneys, I guess, yeah. would be that for Egypt's trial or for Egypt when when we got three of her killers by we I mean the Michigan State Police I had three of them in we knew that we she was going to to trial that they were going to trial and two of one of them has a court appointed uh, attorney and two of them hired an attorney so and then you know you get the, the the people who are saying oh shit they're paying you know they're paying big dollars for attorneys and what I was told what our family was told was that's great, Lindsay. We want them to have good attorneys because then they can't come back and say, oh, they the got of off. Assistance of counsel, right? Yes. On and, appeal, right. Yeah. Which is true. Like you want, you want competent attorneys handling it so that everything's dealt with at the trial stage so that they, if you know, they're convicted, they can't go up to the appellate court and then have the appellate court say, okay, well, that guy was fucking incompetent. We're sending it back to, you know, and the guy's getting a new trial. So, in that sense, the state's absolutely right. I mean, you want yeah. competent attorneys on both sides for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, does Illinois, clearly I know that they had it in uh, 1994 because that's when Gacy was um, executed, but do they still have the death penalty? Do you no. guys still? 
Oh, you don't? Nope. Okay. Got rid of it. Uh, I want to say the moratorium started, I want to say not that far after Gacy. I want to say like late 90s or early 2000s, there was a moratorium on the death penalty that um, it was taken off the table, you know, so and, and like my view on that has always yes, been. I was going to ask you, what's your thoughts on it? Well, you know, it, it's tough, you know, because I mean, there's certain people that that I mean, that the crimes that they commit, if you're an eye for an eye person, you're like, that fucking guy's got to go. You know what I mean? My view is that if you want to truly punish someone, and I mean truly punish them, you stick them in a fucking six by six cell for the rest of their goddamn life. Like, I think the death penalty lets them off the hook, to be honest with you. I think that it's like spending it because, you know, people are like, oh, well, they get to eat every day or they, you know, they get to watch TV. Who gives a fuck? You're never going to spend one day in the arms of someone you love. You're never going to hug a kid. You're never going to go on a fucking vacation. You're never going to swim in a pool. You're never going to do anything that all of us take for granted because we do it on a daily basis ever again. To me, you want to punish somebody. You stick that son of a bitch in a cell for the rest of their life. Let them live in that prison. That's punishment to yes. me far outweighs. And frankly, believe it or not, it's more expensive to kill somebody than it is to have them in prison for the rest of their lives. Way more expensive. My brother, that, yeah. And I mean, I think it's nine, what he, well, it's crazy. It's, it's $90,000 more per year. Yes. For someone on death row than it is for someone in well, life. Because in, right. And, and part of that is because of the, pro, the appellate process. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. anybody on death row is appealing all the way up to the day that they, however, they're, if they're flipping the switch on an electric chair, whether they're injecting them with lethal injection, whatever the case may be. Well, South Carolina just came up, just passed um, the firing squad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think... It, I kind of think if like I had committed some kind of horrific thing and I got the death penalty, that's how I'd want to (laughs) go. Like, I I don't know. There's just something kind of badass about it a little bit, but you know, it's like, you know, but the way that they use a firing squad is that um, it's not like if they've got like, say they got 10 officers out there, you know, whoever's doing the shooting, basically they got nine guys with blanks. And then they've got one guy that has an actual bullet and they do that not for the benefit of the guy who's getting killed, but for the benefit of the people that are doing the shooting. So they don't know who actually killed them. You know what I mean? Which I guess kind of makes sense, but yeah, I mean, I I stand by that, that whole proposition that if you truly want to punish somebody for what they've done, there is nothing worse than being in prison for the rest of your life with no hope of parole. Like no, like, it's like Shawshank, you know, it's like hope is a dangerous thing. And like when you snatch that away from somebody, when they understand that they're in there and there is zero probability of them ever walking out again. And when that, when that cell door slams shut, man, and the finality of that hits you, that's fucking brutal, you know? And that, that to me, there's, there's nothing worse than that. I, I would rather, I like if I had my druthers, I definitely would pick the death penalty rather than spending the next 50 years of my life in a fucking yeah, cage. I agree. I feel like it is the easy way out. And yeah. from a family's perspective, as I'm learning more about death penalty too, again, Michigan doesn't have one, so it's not going to be an option for our family, but right. um, it would be like you had said, the appeals process is 
we would be showing, have to show back 15 up. years, 15 uh, years. Yeah. It takes fucking 15 years to go through the and appellate process. And we're bringing process. it back up. And every time we go back into the court, we'd be thinking, is he going to walk out this time? Right. It would be like never ending. It's like, it really isn't. It's like it, it literally, because after the, the appeals, then you still have the post-conviction relief act stuff. It just, it, it doesn't end until it ends. And, and after 15 years, then it finally ends. Yeah. You know, and at that point you're like, all right, you know, like, uh, you know, even if you go and attend the execution, <laughs> you're like, my brother, my brother right. guys who were in there for 40 years. Oh yeah. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy. It's I mean, crazy. 40 years, I'm 41. So in 40 years from now, if this all goes to trial next year, I'll be 42. So then if it happened for 40 years, I'd be 82 years old. Right. <laughs> what? Right. Oh, shit, what happens? Right. That's like <laughs> fucking water under the bridge. I'm just trying yeah, to stay yeah. alive like, here. Fuck after me. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that fucker outlived me almost, you know? It's like, yeah. Fuck? yeah. No, yeah. it's like, so yeah, for a lot of reasons, I just, my, my viewpoint has always been, it, it hasn't been, you know, it's not based on like, I don't think that the state has the right to, to kill you know, because that puts them at the same level as the killer. You yep. know, that's not really something that I think is, you know, pertinent in the way that I think about it. You know, I, I think about it in terms of practical reasons and, you know, the practicality of it is that, again, there's just nothing harsher than spending the rest of your life in a cage, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then I guess this will, I want to bring it down to maybe lower level offenders mm -hmm. since we just talked about murders. But so what are your thoughts? So now Michigan... I don't know if is is Illinois um, marijuana. Can you guys? Freak yes, it is. Yes. I'm very happy to say that. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes so, so, so then, what are your thoughts on those non-violent, um, I guess, drug offenders, but serving these long sentences? I think it's a fucking travesty, is what I think. Yeah, and I, now I think... it's legal, and we have. I mean, there's people that make. It, I, I think I can say millions. Millions. Yeah. You're talking I, about like the dispensaries and everybody yes. in the business. We have people who are serving these sentences. What who are disproportionately black, by the way. Yeah. So um <clears throat> yeah, no, I have long thoughts on that. Um yeah, you know, it, it's I fight hardest on, on drug cases because uh they're victimless typically. Um, you know, it's, it's people doing things that they decide they want to do now, or they're, you know, the, op the opioid thing is a, is kind of a different game in terms of, you know, people just tend to abuse that to the point where they're killing themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, however, uh, that's their choice. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a, it really is a victimless crime. Um, I never bought into the weed being a gateway drug. If anything's a fucking gateway drug, it's booze. And this is coming from a guy who drank like a fucking fish for 40 years or whatever, 35 years. And I quit drinking like two years ago and it was the best fucking thing I ever did. Like, honestly, like it changed my life when I quit drinking and I loved drinking. It was bourbon guy, man. I, I'm, I'm, see, that's the only thing I do. <clears throat> I've never done, I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never smoked weed. I've never done any drugs. You're better off with weed. But I like to drink. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I love drinking. I love drinking, but you know, I'm watching it like just kill my family off, you yeah. know, honestly. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I was it, like the hardest thing about me quitting in with my job, with the amount of stress, it was like just a natural thing. You know, it's like yep. defense attorneys or just attorneys in general 
like the, the alcoholism rate is like off the fucking charts. And it's because in terms of what we do, like number one, we deal with, you know, and I, I like, I, as a defense attorney, I deal in misery. Like I, I like, there's no happy day, you know, it's like, yeah, if I get a not guilty on a case and it's questionable whether the person committed the crime or not. And again, remember I didn't ask. Yes. Right. So I'm walking out of that courtroom and if I've gotten a not guilty verdict, if I've got a, a, a crime where there's a victim involved, I'm not feeling like I'm going out and fucking celebrating. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a family there. There's, there's people that didn't want what happened to happen, you know? So, and I'm cognizant of that and I'm aware of that. And, you know, and, and beyond that, I'm dealing with like such massive stakes. I'm dealing with people's lives, their freedom. You know, it, it's like, it's a very stressful job. It really is. It's like, a, you know, like surgeons go in and, you know, they save lives and all this shit, but they go on, they do the surgery, it's either successful or it's not. And then they move on. They don't ever think about it. Like criminal cases, I'm dealing with these people for years, two, three years before it goes to trial. You know, it's like, I, I get to know their families, you know, I get to know the victims' families and what's going, you know, it's like, it's like a whole thing. That, that it's is so exhausting like emotionally from both sides of it. You know what I mean? Cause I, I don't walk in to a courtroom like a fucking moron, not understanding that there's victims, families sitting there or, or the victims themselves, you know, it's like, it's a tough gig, man. <laughs> you know? So that's, it's that's like one of the questions that I have here written down. I, I wrote, I said, do you have to remove yourself from thinking about the victim's family in order to defend um, in our case, a murderer? Do you have to just remove that point? But what you're telling me is no, you don't because you're human, which is right. awesome to hear too. Like, no, I have them in the back of my mind. And right. that's what that's I'm saying. Why like, you don't get out and celebrate. Yeah. I right. mean, that's so good. I think for so many people to hear, that's why I'm just, I was so excited when you agreed to come on here because, um, especially with our situation there, we yeah. have three men who are going to trial for murdering my sister-in-law. And it's like, right. how can they be defended? How can right. somebody defend their actions? And but I mean, so like much. if they're good defense attorneys and I, I can't, I obviously can only speak for myself, you know, mm -hmm. and my father, mm -hmm. my father sure. raised me. He was, he was one of the most principled attorneys that I know. The guy had more integrity in his little finger than 90% of the lawyers I know. So that, that's what I came from, you know? Um, and that's who I am, you know? And, and so when I'm trying to, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like when I have a case, like if I, if I was a defense attorney on, on Egypt's case and uh, the first thing I do would, would be look at the police reports. I'd say, all right, what's the evidence? All right. I, I'm never fucking asking these guys if they did it again. Remember, I, I, yeah. I can't, I like, I cannot do that yeah. um, because it affects my ability to be able to do what I'm, I'm, paid and I've sworn an oath to do, you know, uh, to, to zealously represent my client. That's every lawyer that becomes a lawyer takes that oath in front of a judge with their hand up, you know, on a fucking Bible and, you know, they take it seriously. So in a case like that, where I've like looked at the evidence, like, I, like, and I'm just telling you, and I know we're not trying to jump into to Egypt's case at all, but from a purely sideline perspective it's a tough case mm -hmm. you know and i want you guys to prepare yourselves mentally because like you said that's a circumstantial case circumstantial cases are hard you know i mean depending on that dna 
that DNA, that's why I was asking specifically about it to see, it, trust me, the defense is going to be fighting to keep that DNA out, depending on what the, the second sample, who did the testing, if it's this company that I think it might be, because there's this thing called the Daubert test. All right. So like when, when science started getting into um, like becoming an, because like back in the seventies, like even with the Gacy case, it was like, some old school police shit, you know, like, oh, we're dusting for prints. And, you know, there was no DNA and shit, right? So when new science comes along and we want to try to bring it in as evidence, you know, there's this case that existed, you know, from back in, in I think it was like the early 90s. It might even have been a little earlier than that. And it was, it was a case called Daubert. And, and what they did in that case is they said, okay, look, we're going to allow for this science to come in, but the attorneys are going to have the opportunity to question the scientist to make sure that the, it's not junk science, you know, because it's like, that's why like things like lie detectors are not admissible, you know, I mean, are they, are, questions. What yeah, are you I, mean, polygraphs? <laughs> I think, I think they're an incredibly useful tool. I really do. I, I think Ooh, that, that surprises me. I mean, yeah, no, I, they are like, I'll have clients where, you know, or they will swear up and down. Like, again, I didn't ask them yep. you know, what they did or what they didn't do, but they will be professing their innocence from the minute they walked in. Yep. And I said, look, man, you know, I, I said, we can always tell the cops we'll go in and we'll do a polygraph. I know it's not admissible in court. You know what I mean? Yep. So for me, like the downside is very minimal in terms of if they fail, he's exactly in the position he was before. Okay. If he passes it, then you know, again, knowing that it's not admissible in court, like they can't introduce it, even if he goes in and bombs it and they're like, fuck, we knew it was you. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, I have no downside. And if my guy is innocent, you know, cause one thing with the state, they get tunnel vision. Like when they lock in on somebody, <laughs> they just will not look at anybody else uh, and, and to, to their great detriment, yep. you know, to their great, great detriment. That is not an attribute. That is a detriment to them. Um, and I, and like any time on the rare occasion that I find a prosecutor that doesn't do that, that has some vision, I, I commend them like nonstop. I'm like, man, I'm like, you are such a rare, you're like a unicorn, like you're a unicorn prosecutor that has wow. like vision, you know, because it's like, it's just locking in on one, one suspect, especially where it's all circumstantial. Now they've foregone looking at anything at all that could possibly point to somebody else because i mean god forbid like these fucking scumbags that that you know killed your sister it was your sister-in-law right mm -hmm. is that yeah you know like what happens if they didn't do it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and it's like the cops had like stopped the investigation because they finally you know it had been cold you know they they would what had it gone like three four years before yeah. they like yeah when three and a half years of the local department of only tunnel vision on the ex-boyfriend. Right. Only, he did it no matter what. We all right. just need one more piece of evidence. We just need right. one more. And yeah, I, what, what does that mean? Like what? Like, what are you looking for? Like, what's that, what's that piece of evidence? Like, do you have something in mind? Or? That's why I think when I messaged you, I said, every part of me believes that the local department would have eventually. And I can't, of course, this isn't anything that we know would have happened. So I believe they would have done very similar to the Gacy, Gacy cases, find a way evidence. to make right. sure that Kenny was convicted. And right. that he had, because they brought 
him, um, his files and his, they presented it to the prosecutor two or three times. And the prosecutor, thank God, you know, that's the part of the judicial system that I have, I'm very weary on the judicial system. And, but if the, if the prosecutor would have taken the case against Kenny, like, I mean, clearly they didn't have enough evidence and she, and that's what the prosecutor said. No, they denied it two or three times. I don't remember if it was two or three, but they kept saying, we just need one more piece of evidence. And, and after listening to the Gacy tapes and to listening to your to your podcast it immediately i was like they i think they would have done that i would not have put that past them because of the desperate right disparity that they were in at the at the moment and people going at it how do you not have this is your this is such a small town and right they wouldn't let the state in they wouldn't let neighboring jurisdictions help them they wouldn't let everything was all tightened to them they wouldn't even let people who were in the detective force prior to in the same department go in and help, you know? Right. It was their shit and they weren't letting anybody in. And it was the same shit with the Gacy thing. It was like the Splains was like, it was their case, you know, and and again, like with that, and we'll get into it way more next week, but you know, like with that particular situation, they were fucking desperate, you know, cause they had a victim's family, like the Peast family, they were like y'all, you know, I mean, they were fucking all over the cops. Like, what the fuck are you doing about this? You know, like my kid did not run away. Cause that was like back when yes. kids were running away all the time. And it was just like Chicago police didn't give a fuck. Yes. They're like, ah, he just ran away. You know, he's a gay, you know, that's like, you know, just yeah. completely shitting all over, you know, homosexuality or people being gay. Like they just did, they were off the radar. Didn't give a fuck about that. Or, you know, they were, they were like, it was residual hippie shit and they were just running away. You know, they moved out to California. They decided yeah. never to call their parents again. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that fucking didn't happen. Right. You know, so, and they got, they got desperate, man, you know, cause there's this thing and you haven't gotten to it in the pod, but I, and it's, it's going to be another aha moment for you because I waited till like I, I disclosed the planted evidence, but then I really nailed home why the timing of it mattered so much. And it's because this motion was filed in federal court that was going to be heard on the 22nd of December. Remember this thing only took place over 10 days, this investigation at Gacy finally, but there was a motion, a petition actually for a temporary restraining order to stop the 24 hour, 24 seven surveillance on Gacy, which they were going to win the like Amaranti, my, my dad's partner was going to win that. It was essentially going to shut down the investigation. So they needed like, to. Well, like, they had to do it. Like it was going to fucking shut it down. There was no way he wasn't going to win. They hadn't found anything on him. 10 days, 24-7 all over his ass. And on top of that, he was like on, on the face of it, successful businessman, political connections out the ass. You know, people love him. He's not that guy. Yep. The, the federal courts would have looked at him and been like, dude, you're harassing the fuck out of this guy. You're done. You know, and then at that point, Casey would ran home, poured concrete all over his fucking crawls because he, like he, he was like, you know, it was such a game of cat and mouse with the cops. And yes. but we'll get into that next week. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I know. Um, yeah. So I, I just want to get into a couple more questions today about, cool. <laughs> about the, about being a defense attorney. I, I'm all yours. I know I, I could talk for hours. I, I could too. <laughs> you haven't figured that out yet. I could do. So yeah. um, I, and I really want to meet, oh, you guys. And now I guess I should point out too that your wife is a defense attorney too. So she is, she is. The group of you guys, right? Yeah. Yep. Is, she, yep. um, 
is she planning on continuing or is she kind of getting if i monetize the podcast it'll it'll be up to her i guess you know what i mean it's like she feels the same frustration that i do with respect to you know it's it's a grind you know and she's 20 years in i i keep telling her you know, you should go to the bench, you know, become a judge because she'd be a fucking phenomenal judge. It's like you need more defense attorneys as judges because we're just more objective. You know what I mean? It's like we, we can recognize like this wouldn't be a thing where, you know, because when a prosecutor gets up on the bench, they still have that prosecutor mentality. They're like convict, 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 you know, and they don't look beyond that. So like the only time a judge matters in a jury trial is when lawyers are objecting so if you guys don't know out there like when you're watching a trial and you hear an objection the purpose of an objection is for the appellate record so basically when a lawyer objects saying like say for instance i had you on the stand and i was cross-examining you and i asked you a question that required you to say something that you had heard out of court the state would say objection hearsay that's an out-of-court statement that's being offered for the truth of the matter that it asserts and, you know, I would say, okay, well, it's an exception. It was a statement against interest, you know, so it's, it's an exception to the hearsay rule. So like those objections that you're always hearing, which can be annoying if you're watching a, you know, a court case on TV, mm-hmm. you're like, why the fuck do they keep going up the bench for, mm-hmm. you know, sidebars and shit. And that's like, they do that for the purpose of the jury not being able to hear mm-hmm. what they're arguing about. But, you know, those objections are very important, you know, for both sides, you know, yeah. both sides object because, they're saying that that evidence, whatever it is, if it's testimonial or if it's like physical evidence that you're trying to get in and, and either side is objecting to it, they're saying that the, the rules of law don't allow for it to be admissible. And then the judge, that's where the judge matters in, in, the, in those instances because they're the gatekeeper of evidence. They decide what comes in and what doesn't. So you've got the fact finders being the jury. That's who you care most about. But who your judge is is fucking massive as well because depending on what their background is. It's like I'm saying, like, I get, but I use it to my advantage. Like, as a defense attorney, we probably lose 98% of our objections, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they, win, they win 98% of them. But the way that that ends up working out for us is it makes it seem like they're hiding something to the jury. You know, it makes it seem like they're not letting these defense attorneys get out what they want to say after repeatedly denying denying or you know it's 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 so it, that kind of backfires on them a little bit but you know the real purpose of it like on a, on a broader scale is is really to set the appellate record and to establish that there's going to be issues of law that you can argue at the appellate level because appeals aren't like oh we want a second you know that was the wrong decision no there's got to be issues yeah there's got to be issues of law like evidence that shouldn't have been introduced was introduced or vice versa and things like that so yeah yeah well then you brought up a judge does that play a big role on how you your angle do you know almost all the judges that you go in front of do you have a relationship like outside of court with any of the judges the prosecutors or or is it just something like eh. it yeah no it like judges take that pretty seriously because there can't be any impropriety. There can't be even a, a, like a whiff of it. Like I've run into back in my drinking days, I would run into judges at bars and I'd be like, Oh, your honor, let me buy you a drink. They'll be like, nah. Uh-uh. Yeah. You know, like it's like even to yeah. that level, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm friendly with them, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's in the sense that it's 
professional friendly. You know what I mean? And you probably know, do you know, like what, when you get certain judges, what? Fuck yeah, totally. Like, you know, same with the prosecutor. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. So, well, the advantage, like you're stuck with whatever prosecutor you're yeah. going against okay. with a judge by, you know, but just like uh, as a matter of law, like any defendant has the right to what they call substitute of judge one time. So as long as if I get a judge, a draw on a judge where I know he's a fucking piece of shit, mm-hmm. um, you know, or that he's super state oriented. I'm going to SOJ him and I'm going to say, all right, we don't want that judge. <laughs> all right, man. We, SOJ? You know, Sorry. Substitution of judge. Oh, so you, okay. by, by right, you can do that one time, but it's got to be before any kind of um, substantive issue has been ruled on okay. by that judge. So basically, if I get a judge that I know that I don't want to be in front of for that particular case, I'm SOJing that judge immediately. And then it's still, you know, because I, I practice in a lot of different counties, but like the counties that I primarily do practice in are much more conservative than say like Cook County, which is Chicago. You know, yeah. Chicago, you know, is is far more uh, liberal in terms of the judges and how kind of they diffuse, like they view defendants because of just the massive amount of cases that go through. So like we're, you know, and unfortunately our, our legal system kind of works like that when you, when you have court courthouses that are flooded with cases you're not going to get the attention paid on like kind of the more mundane cases just because there's so many of them. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the high profile cases, they'll get all the attention they need because they have a microscope on them in terms of the media and, you know, everyone else is kind of keeping an eye on it. But for the hundreds of thousands of other cases that go through those courtrooms on a daily basis, it's like, it's just a different beast. Like we're out in the collar counties where the population's not nearly as big where they're not, you know, hearing 300 felonies a day, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be able to focus more intently on each and every case. So it's a totally different beast, you know, depending on like what County you're practicing in, what, you know, what the the population level is. It's, yeah. It's it's almost like a game, which seems odd as a scary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it just seems yeah. Look, as a as a lawyer, I've got a lot of beef with our judicial system. Um, yeah. However, that being said, I'd say a majority of the time it works. It's got a lot of fucking warts. There's no question about that. But in terms of every other legal system that I've ever looked into, ours is probably the best. You know, but yeah. there it's just it's never going to be a perfect system, and that's not because of the system itself. It's because there's humans humans involved. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? And yep. humans fuck up left and right. That's, yep. that's, that's our nature, you know? So it's, yeah. it's like, and that's, I think my biggest issue, and I don't want to get into this big, big time, but that's my biggest issue with death, death penalty is, is because right. there is that human, there is that little bit and, and uh, yeah. So that's yeah, no, that, I mean, that's, that's a totally legit point though. Yeah. You know, I mean, you kill one innocent guy, that's enough. Yes. You know, I mean, one innocent yes. dude goes down, like that's enough, you know. Yeah, like, it's just. It's not like you can't just be like an oh shit. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> you can't uh, do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then real also, I think the jury. I'm so curious about the jury process. Awesome. So, if I don't know how. I can tell you everything you want to know. Tell well, me. Ask me every question you have about selecting a jury. Well, what do you what do you look for? So if you're okay, so this is just 
blunt out here. If you have an African-American, are you looking for a bunch of African-Americans in there? Absolutely. Mexican, looking for a 100%. bunch of Mexican jurors. Fucking a, a jury of my peers or a jury of their peers, my oh. clients' peers, 100%. Absolutely. That's, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm always looking for people of color or just in general. Yes. Um, because they've been fucked over for so long that yeah. they come in with a much more critical eye in terms of, you know, I mean, you're going to get shit like with the, with the OJ thing where, you know, I don't know if you watched like any of that shit where like, we all knew we did it. Yes. You know, I mean, we also all knew that if you watch that trial, the state didn't prove their case, yes. you know, and at the end of the day, none of that shit mattered because when they started interviewing the jurors, like 20 years later, Cause like you're, you're a little younger than me. Um, you know, so I was watching that shit in college, like before law school. And that was like fucking appointment television. I watched that trial. <laughs> like yeah. it was unbelievable. It was like the first, like really highly televised case that was riveting. You know, it was unbelievable the way in that, you know, that judge was incompetent. Ito was a total schmuck. Like it, he was way, way over his skis. He was not the guy to handle that. But, um, you know, with a case like that, in that particular case, the Rodney King shit had just gone down yep. and they had acquitted all those cops. And when this one juror that they interviewed, she was like, cause that, they had quite a few black people on that jury and they were like, nah, like this is, this is a tit for tat. Like they didn't fucking prosecute those. Guys. I mean, she literally just flat out said we acquitted him because of what happened on Rodney King. You know, so that that's real shit. You know what I'm saying? That's like, they didn't give a fuck about the evidence. They basically acquitted OJ because he was a black dude and they had fucked black people over with that Rodney King shit. When and they weren't going to do beat it the again. Fuck out of him. Yep. They weren't going to do it. Well, well they were going to pay him back. Right. Is what they were gonna do. right. Yeah, that was, that was a payback, you know? So, right. but um, no, like typically yeah. the most important function of both sides of the attorneys because at the end of the day the fact finders are all that matters so yeah. picking that jury is the most important thing that you it's the most important function I mean, it's you so for, challenging like, school teachers like stay-at-home moms it like, depends yeah. it, it depends okay. it depends on it depends on the crime and it depends on the victims you know yeah. it, like if i have a crime of violence the last thing i want is a mom on a yeah. jury the last thing I want is a mom. Like a mom's going to be like, fuck him. And, and how many like, strikes do you him. get? So it depends. Like typically you get um, between seven and eight challenges. All right. So okay. like they, they call them preemptory challenges. And, you know, it, it depends on the type of case. Like when I handled the Garcia case in Omaha, you know, we had a huge jury pool because I had been fighting and fighting and fighting and saying, this case does not belong in this county. My, my client has been tried in the press for three years. This guy's fucking convicted in the press by this fucking reporter who's decided yeah. he was guilty and everyone's read every article and it's, he's done. Like, I, I can't get a fair trial here. Of course, they denied it. You know, so my challenge became trying to find 12 people that maybe hadn't heard of the case, which was impossible at that point. Um, or people that had not formed a decision, which I knew that they were lying. Yep. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> you know, and, and like even, so let me explain kind of how the process goes. So basically what they do, like depending on, if it's say it's like a bigger profile, like a higher profile case, like, like Egypt's, all right. Yeah. And you know, they're gonna, they're gonna have a 
fair amount for the jury pool. There's going to be a lot of people that'll get the cards in the mail and they'll say, okay, you've been selected for jury duty. Yeah. doesn't say what case. So you go in there like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do jury duty. I got shit. I got kids. I got to, you know, I got to do my life. I don't want to fucking sit there. You know, they show up typically for a case like that. You're probably going to have a jury pool of between, depending on the size of your county, it'll probably be between 40 and 60 people. Okay. All right. And then what they do is they'll, they'll, they'll impanel like four at a time. Okay. So they'll take, they'll go to the pool. You guys will all be sitting in the jury or in the gallery watching. You'll be like, Oh, you know, like you'll be looking over like one. You get to see? Technically. Yeah. I mean, public, public trials, like, like oh. jury selection is all part of it. You know, I mean, like in. I didn't not, realize that. I mean, it depends on your County. Like in our County. Yes. Like, Mm-hmm. With COVID, that changed. Like, yeah. So they'll basically in panel four, both sides get to what they call voir dire. So they ask questions of the jurors. That's that's our opportunity as attorneys to try to dig in and find out a little bit about who these people are. Mm-hmm. You know, do I want conservatives? Do I want liberals? Do I want mothers? Do I want fathers? Do I want blacks? Do I want Hispanics? Do I want whites? you know, try to get a little like, like as soon as the, and, and it's not like that, that movie runaway jury with Cusack, like the Grisham thing where you get the list like a month ahead of time. So I'm researching and I know every fucking witness or every juror that's going to be, Oh, okay. No, I get the sheet. You get the sheet the morning you're there. It's got very little data. It basically says, you know, name, date of birth, education, married kids, you know, like that kind of shit. Do you know any lawyers? Do you know any cops? Do you know, like real basic information. So like, it doesn't tell you much. And you're really trying to figure out because those people are the people that are going to literally make decisions. So in terms of who you want to select, it's, it's very, very tough. And it's really like, if I was representing these guys, I would probably be looking for 50 year old black men, 50 to 60 year old black men. That's, that's who I'd want on the jury. Um, You know, cause they're all, they're all black dudes, right? Like all three of them. Mixed. Yeah. All three mixed. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's who I'd be looking for. You know, the state's going to be looking for some lily white fucking suburban moms. That's who they want. You know, they want mothers who, you know, like the thought of their kid, that happening to their kid just blinds them with rage, (laughs) you know what I mean? Where they can't think of anything else. So, you know, yeah, but that process and then there's two ways to get rid of a juror. It's either by cause. Like if they say I cannot be objective, like no matter what I've already, I've already formed an opinion. There's nothing that you can say that's ever going to make me think that he's innocent. You know, like that person will be excused for cause. If it's somebody that you just don't like, you know, if they like say something, because you can kind of like, depending on your judge, you can dive in a little bit into the facts of the case. Yeah. Not really. You like, you know, they, you can't like talk about specifics of the case, but you could, if it's like a domestic violence case, you can talk about that. If it's a drug case, you know, if, if it oh, okay. if got some kind of horrific, you know, like murder angle, yeah. you know, are you going to be able to molesting? Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. Like you can get into kind of generalities, but you can't get into the specifics yeah. of it. Cause you need to know like how people are going to be able to handle that. You know, it's like you, you'll get people that are like super emotional. They'll start crying during Vordire and it's like, are you going to be able to handle this? You know? And like, cause we need to know it's like all, all we're asking is for a fair, fair jury yep. that they're just going to, they're going to sit there. They're going to listen to the evidence and based on the evidence that they've heard, not anything that they may have heard outside of court, not anything that they may have read, 
but they're going to sit there and they're going to hear the facts and they're going to, they're going to come to the decision based solely on the facts, you know, and you know, you're going to have witnesses. That's why I was asking about that zoom shit. It's like a jury being able to have eyes on the demeanor of a witness when they're testifying is fucking huge. It's like, I can tell when somebody's lying immediately, you know, and like, you'll get sociopaths up there that can fucking lie without blinking an eye, you know, just a good, you know, I'm like, this motherfucker's just sitting up there like, and I'll know they're lying, you know, and it's like, you're trying to impeach them on it. It's, it's challenging. So, and then perjury, then, ugh. Perjury's so hard. You know, no yeah. one's fucking like ever charging anybody with perjury. That's you know, what I was so thinking. Like, I was like, nobody ever gets charged with that, but yet you're threatened yeah. with it so much. And then, right. Well, and it's the trappings of the court. You know, it's like you, you hope that when they get in there, they get in the witness stand that they're going to have like a, you know, like a moment of, of clarity and they'll be like, right. oh, fuck. I, so, oh, Jesus, I can't lie. You know, like, and it's like, it just, it doesn't happen. If they go in like with the mindset, I want to lie, yeah. they're lying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Yep. So yeah, that jury thing on your case can be big. It's going to yep. be big. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up. What would be, yeah. What is your best advice when someone is being arrested? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, I'm not kidding. That is my number. That is my golden rule. Shut the fuck up. Like there's two guys on some, like have some huge Insta thing. I like, Allison and I, that's been our rule for 20 years. I'm like, we fucking invented shut the fuck up. You do not talk to the police. There is nothing that you can say that's going to ever help you. They are not your friends ever. They are trying to extract information from you. It's, it's the simple rule. I call it the golden rule. You just shut the fuck up. There's nothing that you're going to say that like, if there's anything that you need to say at some point, Get your fucking lawyer involved. Your lawyer will maybe decide to sit you down with the state and then answer those questions. But that that rule will serve you very, very well because all you're doing is giving them evidence when you start talking. That's it. That's a simple rule. And it's like you would not believe how many of my clients don't follow it. <laughs> it's like Oh, I'm sure. It's, I'm a, sure. it's it's like the pressure of the situation just causes them to, you know, it's like because it's easy to sit there and they're like, yeah, I get it, man. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. I get it. Yeah. You know, and then they're under arrest and the tensions there, they, you know, they just spill. Yes. <laughs> it happens all the time. Unfortunately, my kids are nine, 11 and 14. And I've told all of them if something ever happened. Yeah. So you can give them, you can give them, right. You do not right. So you give them the, the clean version, you know? Yeah. You don't make a statement to the police ever. Don't talk to them ever. And with right. the pressure, even if they tell you it can't be used against you, don't talk. And they'll lie. You know, like the Supreme Court has said but that cops are allowed to lie to you. A year old and an 11 year old. And just because I, I just don't have very much faith right now. And right. in all, no. I mean, I have clearly they're the state of a totally different experience than yeah. with the local department, but right. yeah, it's just bad that we have to, that we have to do that and teach our kids that. And, um, but it is, it's, it's, yeah. it's the best advice as yeah, it's, it's the only advice. Like any, like any, yeah. any fucking lawyer that's worth their salt, that's going to be their first bit of advice yeah. to you. Yeah. And, and I looked on your website, I was researching, you know, before I interviewed you and you have some really good advice. He has a, you, you have a page on there that has questions, advice and questions, I think is what it is. Right. You guys, I highly recommend checking it, checking it out and just, 
I learned some stuff on it too with your rights of when a police officer knocks on your door and, and just all the different legal advice that you have on there, just knowing your rights. And it's really, really big. So on that note, why don't you tell people where they can find you legally? And most of all, your podcast. Uh, all right. So our, our firm is called Mata and Mata. We're based out of, we're Chicago based. We have offices in a couple of different areas, Chicago and Aurora, which are the two biggest cities in Illinois. Um, you know, M-O-T-T-A, not D. M-O- yeah. M-, M is in Mary. O-T is in Tom. T is in Tom. A is in Adam. So that's Mata and Mata. It's like Mata applesauce with an A at the end. Yes. Like, I've lived my whole life being called Mota. I'm like, motherfucker, that would be like B-O-A-T. Yes. Like, OTT is ot as far as I like bottle, you know, whatever. That's like, yeah. that's like, that's like years of having to deal with that shit. Um, so yeah, now uh, in terms of, you can find the website, it's very accessible. Obviously our, our yep. kind of our background, what we do and how we do it's on there. Uh, the pod defense diaries uh, were available on every, every platform. Um, people seem to like it. We think it's pretty good. We're pretty proud of it. Um, the graphic is really cool. It's a book with blood, a knife in it with blood. Yeah, it's a really cool right. graphic. So you'll see it. And, and um, when I searched it, it's the first one that pulls up. Um, and you guys, I was hooked. And it, it as soon as I started listening, uh, we're going to get more into it next week on how Bob and I met. Uh, but as soon as I started listening, um, I was, well, all of you guys know that I made my trip to Indiana to the state police this week. So all of my listeners know that and people that follow. <laughs> and that's what I listened to my four and a half hours there. And most of the way back, some of the way back, I was on the phone with <laughs> Tanner's mom and like a bunch of excitement. You were working. Yeah, I'm working. But um, yeah, but I listened to it and I'm, I'm up to 10 episodes, 10 episodes in and you guys, it is so binge worthy and so addicting. And um, if I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have asked him to be on the show if I didn't think that you guys would love this. And immediately I, I messaged him and said, Oh my gosh, my people, the listeners will I, love this. It's right I up. And so, that. I really yeah. do. you know, and, and one of the things is like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach a few things in there too. You know, Oh my like, gosh, I've learned so much. It was, that's what yeah. just made me want to do this part of the defense attorney perspective yeah. too, because I've learned. And I'm, so I, Dude, it was like, you're the first person who's wanted to do that. And it surprised me. I'm like, if they've listened to my pod, it's, like, cause I, you know, I'm trying to teach everybody something, you know, yeah. it's cause like, if you, if you're an attorney, you might know it, but like, I, I know from practicing, you know, just the, the yeah. bottom line is most people just don't know how the system works. Yeah. You know, they don't understand what the fuck's going on with it, you know? So yeah. if I can impart that knowledge and do it in a, in a way that's kind of entertaining and educational, then I'm winning, you know? Absolutely. It is, it is beautifully done and why don't you go ahead and tell them what episodes to start on because you guys i really highly recommend that you guys listen to um the remaster at least start yeah listen start up you know get through you got to start it you got to start at one like it's it's one and then work your way up but but get in as many as you can you have one week before we we really more of it and so um anyway it, no, but and that's a great point. So we remastered because when we originally um, put it out, uh, the tape noise was rough. You know, the 40-year-old tapes, our equipment wasn't as great as it is now. Darren, my producer, had spent, I, I can't even tell you how many hours trying to clean the tapes up and he did amazing work. So 
you're going to see, um, it, but the problem is that they're not in, in the right order. So you're going to want to listen to the remastered one, two, and three. Okay. Cause it's night and day in terms of what you can hear and what you can hear with the Gacy tapes and then just follow it. But when you get to six, seven, eight, and nine, if you can binge them, binge them. Cause it's so much information. You won't fucking get it. If you're like listening to them like a week apart, it's like, it's, it's too hard yeah. to put together. And you can't go in different order. You have to, no. yeah. order. You yeah. have to <laughs> remastered one, remastered two, remastered three, and then go back to four, five, six. Exactly. Exactly. So you guys, you guys are smart. You guys are right. Exactly. Like they're stupid. So, yeah. yeah, no, I know, but yeah. Yeah, you're awesome. It's so I really enjoyed though. this. It, to it is. It totally yeah. is. Cause like, believe it or not, people are still listening to the original one and it's cause they're out of order. They don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the remaster didn't drop down to like first position. So they're looking at it by date yeah. and they're just automatically playing that because the first remaster wasn't done until like a month ago. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so yeah. like it was a great point. I'm thankful that you, you brought it up. Yeah. So, and yeah. I really enjoyed this, by the way. Thank you, uh, Thank you so much. So, um, uh, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank I'll talk to you. We'll set it up. We'll do the same thing next week. Thank Perfect. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Bye. Later. Bob Mata, thank you immensely for taking the time to share your expertise and knowledge on the law and our judicial system. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. You guys, please take the next seven days to listen, binge, indulge, however you want to say it to Bob Mata's Defense Diaries podcast. That's Defense Diaries podcast. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Bob reveals never before heard details regarding planted evidence. Yes, I said it. Planted evidence in the John Wayne Gacy case. This is huge. You guys, be sure to listen again next week for an unfiltered interview with Bob Mata regarding the John Wayne Gacy case and never before heard tapes. Thank you so much to all of my incredible patrons. Look for your merch to be delivered the first week of September. You guys, check it out at patreon.com slash can't stop, won't stop. I am so excited and so honored to give you another outlet to help so many grieving families. Can't wait to see you in there and to join our community. More details are on Facebook at Can't Stop, Won't Stop and at my Lindsay Ann on Instagram. You guys, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This is free, and it will help get awareness to the public about the injustices happening to so many grieving families. Thank you so much for all of your support. Also, check out can'tstopwon'tstop.store to purchase your merchandise. That's can'tstopwon'tstop.store. I appreciate you. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen 
I don't have all the answers. It has been nine years Only since Tanner Barton was taken from all of us. And, and it has been four years since Brittany Bell and Egypt Covington were both taken from all of us. It has been too many years of obstacles and lies from people they trusted and from the police. It has been too many years that no family should ever have to go through. Tanner, Brittany, and Egypt, we can't stop and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. Please be sure to join our Facebook group, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter Mr. Peace for allowing us the rights to use the song, Where'd You Go?, featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week. No, God, no, please, no.